Welcome to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Flora. The star of Netflix's Queer Eye, Jonathan Van Ness has captivated a huge fan base as a comedian, best-selling author, and podcast host with a prolific social media presence, but he definitely hasn't forgotten about hair. Nearly two years ago, he added hair care brand founder to his expanding resume with the launch of JVN Hair. For today's episode, I talked with Jonathan and Teresa Lowe, JVN Hair's general manager from the start. We covered a huge range of topics, including Jonathan's career journey, the founding story of JVN Hair, and the product's unique formulations, which use hemisqualane and no silicone. Teresa also addressed whether the brand is seeing any impacts from the recent changes at its parent company, Amaris, which announced layoffs and the departure of its CEO last week. Jonathan is known for his humor and positivity, but he's also outspoken when it comes to more serious topics. In this interview, we also talked about the recent Pride Month, and he reflected on the rise of homophobic rhetoric that we've been seeing in this country. Here's the interview. Jonathan and Teresa, thank you for being here. Thanks for having us. Lovely to be here. So we always like to start this podcast by going back to the beginning. Jonathan, you've written a memoir. You've been so open about sharing your entire life story. Let's talk about where hair fits into that. At what point in your life did you first develop a passion for hairstyling? I think it was like... 1990, when I saw a box of Barbies in my mom's closet, and they were really fierce, like vintage 60s Barbies, and they had beehives and some had long hair. And I was just like, this hair is amazing. Also, embarrassingly, this is like, because I'm a millennial, so let's just bear with me. It was beauty pageants. Uh, I get it now as a 36-year-old, but really it's like watching Miss USA and Miss America, like... Give me some Vanessa Williams, save the best for last. Although that's not what she's saying for her talent show or talent portion, but I'm just saying like a good beauty pageant, a Barbie. I was like, these people's hair is where it's at. So I think I've really been very into hair from some of my earliest memories. And then how did that turn into a career? Well, that's like a really long story, but um, and I'll try to answer it and not be talking for like an hour straight with no questions um, or with no breaths. Um, but like... I think really, I, I always knew I wanted to do uh, to do hair. I always had been passionate about the beauty industry. Um, in my like at the pool that I would go to in the summer, I had like a, a traveling like manicure, pedicure, and facial business. Like I would like give. I was like, "Can you do you want your nails done? Do you want a facial?" Like I was always like trying to do a beauty service with the pool ladies, who I talk about in in the book. Um, but I, I really always wanted to be a hairdresser. I've always been really passionate about hair. Um, I think my family was more of like you know, we want you to go like do a four-year school, like do a degree. And I think it took a little bit of like me really not doing very good at college to show them. I was like, you know what? This ADHD is such that if I'm not interested in it, honey, it isn't going to happen. So just like, let me do what I'm passionate about. Um, and they were like, yeah, do it on your own. And I was like, oh my God, thank you. And um, they did ultimately end up helping me, but they were like giving me a good old fashioned like bluff. Um, and so, yeah, that was kind of how I went from college to hair school. Um, tried it out, really didn't work after that first semester or really the first semester to be, you know, candid. It was not great. Uh, but after college, it got really good. And so, yeah, I started hair school in 2005 and Wow, it's been such a journey since then. Yeah, so let's talk about the journey toward Queer Eye. Before you joined the Queer Eye cast, you started out with the Game of Thrones web series. It featured the amazing combination of hairstyling and Game of Thrones recaps. Tell us the story of how that came about. That's a fun story. Um, 
so one of my clients who is uh, one of my old clients who I just love, she is an incredible um, host and author and producer, um, performer, comedian. Her name is Erin Gibson. Um, she hosts a podcast called Attitudes with Brian Safi that's really good. Um, and so I had done her hair for a long time and I was a client next to me was talking to her hairdresser who I ultimately would open my little studio with um, about how she didn't understand why everyone loved Game of Thrones. And I was like, honey, how do you not understand? It's amazing. And I was like this and that. And I did a little impromptu recap of it. Um, And then when I kind of, so sorry, that was my dog got a little excited. Um, But, and so then um, after I did the recap, Aaron was like, that's a web, like that's a series. Like we need to, like film what you just did. And I was like, okay, girl, whatever. Like, let's do that sometime. I didn't understand like what a web series was or like what it would look like, or I just, I totally didn't understand. And ultimately that, you know, so Aaron uh, created Gay of Thrones and, but it was, is a really cool experience because I went from like running my own business full time, you know, doing hair, which I continued to do after Gay of Thrones. But then basically like once a year, I got to learn how to write. I got to learn how to perform improv. I got to learn how to produce. Um, I got to learn how to, you know, be an actor. And I didn't even know that that's what I was doing. Like, but I was learning all of these skills on the job. And, you know, after like, um, what was that? Like three years. So like after the third season of Gay of Thrones, it got nominated for an Emmy. And like the Emmy's like first ever time of like doing outstanding um, variety series short or short, no, Jesus, Jonathan, you can do it. Uh, they, the first year that they did an outstanding short form variety series. That's what that, and it, so it was like the inaugural category, Gay of Thrones gets nominated. And interestingly, I got left off because I didn't know like how it works that you're like supposed to like make sure that you're like included in like the list of people. Like I didn't understand. Um, and so I got left off, made sure that didn't happen the second time, but that was how I got my like second, my first two Emmy nominations was, you know, for Gay of Thrones for outstanding short form variety series. And it was just like such an amazing experience where it completely changed the trajectory of my life. It showed me that I had like abilities to, um, innovate, to learn things like really quickly on the job, to be really resourceful, also to be patient because it's not like, you know, Gay of Thrones was like a pretty big success, like when it first started in 2013, but it wouldn't be until 2018 for me to like really find my next vehicle in Queer Eye. So I really learned like how to be content and happy with what I had, but also work for something different and more at the same time. So that was a really cool time in my life where I learned so much. And I also just think generally, like, you know, it started when I was 25, it ended when I was uh, like 31 or 32. And I just think from 25 to 30, that's a time in our lives when we change so much. Like everyone, like you just are such a transformative time in everyone's life. And so, yeah, I look back on that time with so much love and so much gratitude and I learned so much in that time. So um, I, I just wouldn't change it for the world. And I, But I also really miss that crew and I miss getting to work with Aaron every week. I miss getting to work with Matt Mazzani um, and the other people from that crew. Like they just, we were a really fun crew and that was a really fun show to make. Do you think House of the Dragon is worthy of a redux? I don't think that it's not worthy of one, but it's like, you know, none of us live in LA anymore. Like Aaron's like between LA and... um in New Mexico, I live in Austin. Matt is like, I don't even know where Matt like lives full time. Like everything just has changed so much. And I, I also do think that there's something to be said for like moving forward and trying different things. And, um, I'm not saying never, but I do, I also do feel like 
not as many storylines in House of the Dragon as well. Like, part of what made that so good is that, like, you know, because not every bit of a recap is going to be as funny. So, like, we needed, like, a lot of stuff ended up on the editing room floor, you know, because that's such a long-ass episode and you didn't need to necessarily cover, like, every minute little thing. But in other shows, like, everything is kind of important because there's not that many people. You know what I mean? So I feel like House of Dragon is harder because there's not, like, a gajillion storylines. There's, like, six, which is harder to recap. Because if it's a boring episode, it's, like, harder. Not that House of Dragons is boring, but it doesn't, like, doesn't move the same way that Game of Thrones. It's hard to do a Game of Thrones again. You know what I'm saying? That was so, in the words of Beyonce, unique. You know, it was really, what a show. Well, it's also perfect for a hairstylist conversation because a hair session is kind of cathartic and you're it's almost like a therapy session, right? And after watching Game of Thrones, that was always a very emotional experience. So people kind of had to yes. recover, right? Yeah, the torture, the like abuse. There's a lot to get through on that show. It's just you're like, oh, it was like a communal traumatization, that show, but also such a good one. You know, I missed that era. So we won't talk about Game of Thrones this whole podcast. Moving on to Queer Eye, the original series aired 20 years ago. What do you remember of the first one at the time? Did you watch it growing up? Oh, yeah, majorly. It was, like, a gigantic fan. I actually watched it with, like, my grandparents and my parents. Like, we would, like, it was, like, a really big deal. Like, it was, like, on NBC. It was, like, on primetime. It was, like, a big deal. And um, I think, for me especially, it was a huge deal because other than, like, my best friend's wedding and, like, Rudy Galindo, the figure skater. So, like, you had Rupert Everett. You had, like, Rudy Galindo. Like, there wasn't that many people who, like... I, like, I could sit and watch my grandparents, watch with my grandparents, like, on television where, like, queer people were, like, seen in, like, a more positive light or seen in, like, a successful light. So it was really important because it was, like, I think it was the first time where a lot of people, I mean, that that show and Will and Grace did so much, I think, to kind of shift you know, certain public perceptions. Um, And certainly that visibility meant a lot to me in high school. And I think it also brought my family together. Um, I had a massive crush on Kyan. I actually got Jay's autograph from a friend in high school who literally got Jay's autograph. I still have it to this day. Um, I was like, yeah. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, I loved the show and... I, yeah, I just, I love the show and I love them. And I, it's really surreal that I have gotten to be a part of it as like an adult. Yeah. So tell us the story of how you got on the Netflix reboot. Um, well, I was minding my own business. I was in Manhattan and then I saw online that they were casting for a reboot. And I was like, how have I not known about this? Like I was meant for this. Like the log line was like turning red states pink one makeover at a time. And I was like, oh my God, I need to be doing that. And so I got an audition. Well, I got like a meeting with the casting company and I went to this meeting and I will never forget. It was again, I was in Manhattan and I can't remember. Oh yeah. I got this really cute scarf and it was cold and uh, it was like fall. And uh, so it was getting kind of cold and I was wearing this scarf. And then when I looked down, when I got there, the scarf had like completely rubbed off on the black shirt. So it looked like I'd been like cuddling like 80 million cats, but I didn't have any cats. Like I was just like covered in this like extra yarn. So I had to make friends with the lady at the front desk. And I was like, oh my God, do you have a lint roller? Cause I didn't want to go do this meeting about like fashion looking like, you know, I was covered in ha- like this like hair. Oh, oh, it wasn't the scarf. You guys, now I'm really remembering it's coming back to me. It was hair clippings because I've been doing hair all day in the salon that I worked at in New York. So I was covered in hair clippings 
And then I looked down and I was like, oh my God, I'm covered in hair. So I was like, do you have a light roller? And she said, no, but she had duct tape. So she gave me this duct tape. I went to the bathroom. I was like, like getting all the, like all the hair, like clippings off me. So I wasn't itchy and like covered in hair. Cause it was like a black shirt. And like a lot of the hair was like gray and silver. So it was really like prominent. Um, and then I went out and I did the little go see and it was definitely giving America's next top model go see. Like it was definitely like not like doing a model walk and showing them your model book, but it was definitely just like, you know, a general little like meeting. And I was like, oh my God, I don't know if they like me. I just, I don't know. I hope they did. And then I was like, I'll probably never hear from them again. And then when I got back in LA, like two days later, uh, cause I lived in LA at the time, but I would go back and forth to New York to do clients. Um, I got a call that they wanted to move me to like the next round, which was like a Skype chat. It was like a Skype audition and they would make like a sizzle reel from your Skype audition. And I was like, Oh my God, I've never got like, I've, that was like the, cause I had done auditions before, but I'd never gotten a call back. Like I had never like gotten into the next round of one. And I was like, Oh my God. Um, and then I did that. And I, at the time I lived in Brentwood LA and worked in, or excuse me, I lived in Los Feliz in LA, but then I worked in Brentwood. So that's like, a really long drive. This is like, you know, 40 minutes with no traffic, but with traffic, it's like an hour and 45. And I had to be at a certain time. And Teresa, who's here with us, the GM of JV and Hair, can definitely attest to the fact that like I struggles with being like totally exactly on time. Although I would say today before this podcast, that really was a link mishap. I actually have been sitting here like since 11. I was like, where are these people? But just so you know, I really wasn't late. I don't know, but just, you know, for the record. Um, but I'm obsessed with you and this is like so much fun. But sidebar. Um, I was tearing across town, honey. I was trying not to take out a pedestrian. And I was like, I can't show these, I can't be late to these for these people. I got there like right by the skin of my teeth, like fixed the lighting because it was like giving like overhead light. I like got, you know, got the Skype turned around, face it towards the natural light. Like the instincts have always been there, honey. Actually, I already knew because of Game of Thrones. So I got in the cute light. I did the audition for the Skype thing. And then I was like, now I'll probably never hear from them. And then a week later, they were like, you're, we want you to come to like, it was like the top like 50. And they were bringing all these people into this like hotel in Glendale uh, with like all these you know, other people from all over the world. There's like Australian people, British, like European, South African. There's like people from all over the place. Um, and I was like, oh my God, this is going to be really intense. Like I have heartburn just thinking about it. Cause like, I'm probably not going to get it. I want it so bad. And I'm probably just like, not going to get it. Like chances are, is you're not going to get it. And then I got to that audition and I just, something just came over me. And I was like, girl, you've been rejected so many times. You've had like the door shut so many times because I'd been pitching my own shows since in that time with Game of Thrones and it got so close so many times and just, you know, something always ha had happened. And I was like, maybe like everything is like in this, just this like really inexplicable, like calm just came over me in that audition process, like those few days. And it was unlike, I really like actually never experienced it again. Like I was so tuned in. Um, I feel like I get that tuned in like in other times, but like as far as like at an audition, like where everything is on the line. Like it was just like that gold medal performance that like Olympians talk about when they're just like, everything came together and it did. Like I was just able to see what was important, what wasn't important. I just intrinsically knew like when to be on, when to like rest up. Cause there was no one important in the room. So like, don't burn yourself out, you know? Cause it was like so long and they were really seeing like how you got along with everyone. And I could just see, I always say this when I tell this story, but it was true. It was like that scene in, 
Mean Girls when everyone's like going off on each other in the mall and like they turn into animals. It was like that except for with kindness and mingling because you know, everyone knew like it's like you got to get along with people. But it was like I just I was like watching like 50 gays like mingle each other to social death. Like it was like who can like out nice each other. And I was just like, oh, my God, I don't have the energy for this. I'm just worn out looking at it. But I could just feel when like someone just from being in the salon for so long, I could feel when someone important like came in the vicinity. So I'd be like, stop looking at your phone. Like, ah! <laughs> that was hilarious joke. I loved it. Um, I just like knew how to like, I don't know. I just like knew how to do it. And then I got the job. Like, so that was like a two day audition. I remember at the end of the first day, I was like, well, they're definitely not going to cut that many people because they brought all these people in from way out of town. And the end of that day, they cut half the people. So like the next day there was only like 25. And then I was like, Jesus, like, Hunger Games girl, like, you're halfway there. Like, now, like, you have, like, a 50% chance as opposed to, like, a 10% chance. And um, then through that day, they, I remember when the creator of the show came in, they had, like, different iterations of us in this, like, they were, were piecing us together. And I remember it was, it was who would ultimately be the Fab Five. Like, we were sitting in the room together. So the other top 10, like, were in this other green room. And I remember the creator of the show came in and he was like, congratulations, you are five of the top 10. And I remember, like, my... Just, I almost shit my pants. Like, I just was like, oh my God, girl. Like, I just couldn't, I was like looking around. I was like, is this a joke? Like, I can't believe that I got this far. Um, And then they're like, the last thing we're going to do is like, we're going to go to this house and we're going to do like a mock episode. Like, so we did like a mock, like filming with like a mock, like just like did like a mock episode. Who ultimately I didn't know at the time, but was actually like the husband of one of the other EPs of the show. (laughs) So I didn't know that, but um. So we did that, and then I found out, like, a week later. And you're obviously not supposed to tell anyone that you're auditioning. Like, you totally had signed, like, an NDA. Um, But I've told this story enough on podcasts that I don't think Netflix is going to sue me for it at this point. But um, I was doing one of my favorite clients' hair, Vivian, who we actually just posted on our GVN hair. Um, Like, we did this cute little, like, throwback of my old clients, and Vivian was one of them. And I was doing her hair with my assistant and I was like oh my god they're calling like I knew whose number it was I, was like, I, I think I'm, I'm, I think I'm gonna find out right now if if it's happening or not and so I answered the phone and I put it on speakerphone oh my god I could cry just thinking about it I never tell this story really but I do tell it sometimes but I haven't told it for a long time and so I answered the phone and they were like congratulations like you got it like you're moving to Atlanta and um I was on speakerphone like I had them on speakerphone because I was like <laughs> Couldn't be late for my next client, and I was already late. So, but, like, Vivian stood up, and my assistant, like, was already standing. But we just, like, all grabbed hands, and we were, like, jumping around in circles, like, yelling. And then I was like, no, we're alone. I'm alone. No one's here. Like, I was like, shut up. Like, everyone shut up. Like, I'm meant to be alone. Like, we can't be so obvious. Uh, But I was like, no, I'm so excited. This is so exciting. And that was, yeah, that was the story of how that happened. That made me feel nervous just listening to that. But you're seven seasons in now. You just aired the seventh season last month. So tell me about the hair this season. Are you able to use JVN hair on the Netflix show or the products in the show? Oh, yeah. That's like all I used. Um I think, you know, for certain times, like if you're like use like I needed like hairspray and I needed like other things, but I've actually been using JVN hair on Queer Eye since like season six, because I was already like, I was already formulating. I was already like testing things at that time. I was already like way into testing at that time. So, and I, we already had all of our formulas like for or like formulated by then. So I've been doing it on like queer. Eye. I did it on getting curious. I was doing it on like every photo shoot I ever was at. I was like always using JVN hair and also not to be, I I've always been one of those people who like, once I find something I like, like, I only want to use it. I totally am, like, and actually, <laughs> my friend Jared Kraft, who helps us with our YouTube, and 
I just love him. Uh, when we do our YouTube, he'll be like, girl, you can't always use, like, one line. Like, it's not believable. Like, and I was like, but that's literally what I do. Like, I think it, like, triggers my ADHD to, like, go outside of a line. Like, I just, I'm such a Midwestern, like, loyalist. Like, I just feel like, I just, like, really like to stick in one and, like, a little's good, but a lot's better. I just go into, like, hardcore, like... I only want to use that line. Um, so just so, but that really happened to me with JVN hair because it's my baby. And so the only things I really ever use besides JVN hair is like if I need something to do, like I, I'm obsessed with like that Tancho stick, like the Tancho stick I use for like updos and slick backs and like dry things. Um, if I need like a dry finish, and then I do like um I hate admitting to it, but it's true, you guys, because it is an aerosol. But I do just love that L'Oreal Elnet hairspray. She's just classic. She's true. She's been around since, like, the 50s. I just love it. It's, like, you just kind of, like, it's, and also it's, like, low-key kind of, like, a texture spray. And, like, it's, like, it does so many things, like, depending on how you use it. Like, I know, like, I love to talk about JV and hair, but I will say, like, L'Oreal Elnet hairspray. Like, and I do think low-key, the formula in Europe is different. I think it's, like, that European one is, like, I don't know if it's placebo or what, but, like, every time I go there, I'm like, sorry, like, this is just 16 travel sizes of hairspray. Like, leave me alone. I just really like it. Um, And then, obviously, like, texture sprays or, like, dry shampoos. And there's, like, several of those that I like. And and sometimes, like, I like a little pomade. But it basically, like, if it's shampoo, conditioner, if it's, like, a heat protectant, a foam, like, I, I just, I really do love our stuff. And I think... It just works better than other things that I've used. And I'm kind of a picky girl when it comes to products. So I, that's really what I use on Queer Eye. So yeah. And so unless it was like, you know, a dry pomade or like just something else that I needed or if I felt like there was something else that would work really well for them. But yeah, especially with like what we, I, I mean, I give everyone JVN hair. I love it. I think it works so good. And let's get into the founding story of the brand. Teresa, you've been with the brand since the beginning. How did you two first meet? How did the idea come about? Yeah. Jonathan was our brand ambassador for Biosense. So I used to head up marketing for Biosense and Jonathan and I connected through that first. And he was the best brand ambassador, if I do say so myself. And we just had a great relationship. And I think it was January of 2020, uh, they reached out um, and said, we're exploring partners for a hair brand. And obviously we said, yes, very interested. Let's let's evaluate this, this as an option. Um, but then of course, you know, if you note the timing, March, 2020, uh, COVID happened. So we all were in this global pandemic. So that paused the conversations for a bit. Um, but we picked it back up once we realized this, this, what we thought was a three week lockdown was going to last a little bit longer. And what I'm most proud of is from when we finalized the deal to when the first bottle was physically on a Sephora shelf, we did that in nine months. We built this brand from scratch during a global pandemic with supply chain challenges, with labor shortages, with every roadblock that you could imagine, uh, a a small team and did that in a record-breaking nine months. And Sephora, they couldn't even believe that we were able to do that. So um, Jonathan was involved in every single step of the process. You know, there's a lot of founders who people will wonder, you know, how involved are they? And I will say, Jonathan is involved in every decision from the packaging to the colors, to the social posts, to the influencers we chose to work with, uh, naming, even some of the copy. If you read the copy on our bottles, those are written by Jonathan. Um, And so it's just been such a pleasure to work with such a 
genius in the hair space. Um, you know, Jonathan talks a lot about being so proud of the brand and I feel just the same. Oh my God, it made me cry Tilo. <laughs> what were the talks like in the beginning of coming up with the concept with for the brand? What were the main areas you wanted to focus on with it? Okay, wait, sidebar, I just have to say, when I knew it, I fell in love with Tilo. We're just, we were doing this Biosan thing. And we like, t- I wonder if you know the story I'm going to tell Tilo. And Tilo came I think in. I do. And like, she just had a baby. And this one, well, I don't know if you need to keep that. Maybe if you're, if you're cool with saying that, but yeah. But so that happened. And, but there was just this like one rogue chunk of hair that had just like outgrown all the other pieces of Tilo's hair by like four inches. Like, I was like, what is like, like, there's just like this one rogue long piece of hair. And I just so happened to have my shears and like all my hair stuff in my bag. And I was like, sit down. I'm, we are just, I like, we, I can't, we, I can't even focus on talking about skincare if we have, like, this one section that is just not giving me life. And so we, like, trimmed up her little face frame and, like, sorted out that little section. And I just, like, loved her ever since. Um, okay, so there's... I was most impressed that you just traveled with shears and a cape. <laughs> you never know when you're going to need to do, like, a quick haircut. You just, it, I feel like I've, I've often been left without my shears and I wish that I had them, so I just usually have them. But... I think the pillars for JV and hair to get back to that um, and where I was really, so really my biggest thing and kind of like I had two main inspirations in starting JV and hair and trying to find like the way to innovate it. One was that like, just from queer eye, I had been sent. Cause when you get like, when you become like, I, it still feels weird saying it, but when you become like a household name, that feels better than saying famous. But when you become like a household name-ish, like all of like just all of a sudden like a public figure, people just start sending you so much stuff. And I was like, oh my God, there is so much plastic, just like plastic, 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 like plastic bags to wrap plastic bottles with plastic lids, like in plastic, just like so much plastic on all this hair stuff, all the just beauty stuff, plastic, plastic, plastic. And so one thing I knew is like, if I started a hair care company, cause people started to ask, I started to think about it. I was like, well, I really want to make sure that I can prioritize glass and aluminum. And that was like one of the biggest challenges was like figuring out how to do that. And like someone who would like, let me do that or like be like, oh, okay, we're into that idea. Cause it just, it does make everything harder and you have to like innovate things like differently when you're prioritizing glass and aluminum. And the reason why I'm really passionate about that is because like glass and aluminum, but also like need our consumers to do it. But I do feel like our people are good at it, but it's like, you got to recycle it, but it's just so much more infinitely recyclable. And so much of the bulk of glass and aluminum that was even like created it, like it can have so many more lives than what plastic can, which I just am really inspired by that. Like the sustainability model of that. So that was one thing. But then the other thing I was realizing is that like, let's say that I liked a product, right? When I would see how much it was after I used it the first time, I'd be like, what? This formula is like, kind of not gorgeous. Like there was just a lot of things, but then it would be priced really intensely. And so I was like, wait, like, and then some things that were clean and actually that I really liked, I was still like, wait, like this formula isn't necessarily like, even if you have, cause I get that everyone's got to make money and that that's like the point, but like the markups and the margin, I was like, this is like, I don't understand. Like it just automatically takes so many people out of the conversation as far as being able to access cool, you know, nice clean formulas. And I always think about in my twenties, how like, I used to like, if I had like a certain amount of money, I would literally overdraft my bank account to get 
this like one particular hair care line that I was really obsessed with that I really, really love. And I still love to this day, to be honest, but I could not afford it back then. And I wanted to be able, I wanted to make now like a really luxurious, like prestige, highly efficacious line that like really, really works and is easy to understand, but isn't priced in a way that like automatically makes so many people just like not ever able to afford. Like, you know, I was saying that I'm a product or I'm like a line queen. Like I love to be in the same line. Like I love like, cause I also feel like, Typically, lines are formulated to play best with each other. Like, not that you can't mix and match, but a lot of times, cosmetic chemists and just companies do formulate things for them to play the best with each other. And so, and I just love to like, it's like if I like a shampoo and conditioner from a line, I want to get all the things from it. But if you do that from so many places, I was like, I'm walking out of there spending like $500 or like $750. And I wanted to make a line where you could literally get everything you needed like, and some extra play things at a price that's, like, not completely outrageous that you, like, wouldn't be able to afford more than once a year. So it was really, like, accessibility and then sustainability. But then also, as I said a million times, I know I keep saying it, but it's, like, product, or I'm a formula queen. Like, I love formulas that really, really work. Um, And even, like, you know, Elna, I said, I love Elna. Like, I used to be that kind of person. I was like, I don't really care what it's doing as long as it's working. But I don't really actually feel like that. Like, I really do like things to be good for the environment, good for our health, good for our surroundings, you know? Um, But also, I want them to work. And I've also seen as someone who is, like, a really big fan of clean beauty at its earliest iterations, because, like, my mom took me to my first, like, Aveda in, like, 97, and I was like, honey, this is no Bath and Body Works. Like, I just, I don't know if they're going to, like, come for me, but I just was saying, like, I love, I've always been a fan of clean beauty, but it the technology in clean beauty didn't catch up to hair care for a long time. And, but then once it did, it really did. And because of my relationship with Biosense and being able to have such close relationship with our formulators and our cosmetic chemists, we were able to make like, in my opinion, I know I'm biased because it is my baby, like a line that is works so well. And it really works on so many hair types, which was also part of my goal that like, I think a lot of beauty is like, it really is marketing and people will be like, well, I have this, I have greasy hair, so what do I do? Or I have really thick hair, so what do I do? But really, like, everything instead of being this or that is more about a spectrum. Spoiler alert, it's not only gender. It's also, like, in hair care. So it's, like, it's I, I'm more passionate about teaching people, like, more of a system or, like, something on more of a spectrum. It's, like, if you want more volume, go over here. If you want more control or, you know, more sleek, go over here. If you want to do more of, like, your natural texture or curls, you know what I mean? So it's, like, instead of doing, like, a finite style, I want to really teach people, like, how to get, like, achieve multiple looks out of their hair. Because it's taken me, like, my whole life to figure out how to style. And you can even see on Queer Eye, like, how to embrace my curls, how to, like, do it perfectly straight. Like, I've really learned a lot about how to control my own hair, but it took me a really long time. And I think a part of that is because the marketing is so confusing. And actually, it's a lot more simple. Like, you either need more moisture or you need more strength or you need more body and volume, which is, like, why we formulate for goal versus type. Because really, like, no matter what your hair type is, like, so many people have the same goals. And actually a lot of different types of hair need the same things, just like a different styling process or like, you know, maybe you use a little bit more product or a little bit less, but like everybody's hair isn't like so, so different that you shouldn't understand how to be able to do your hair. It's like, it's not rocket science, but it is art, but I want to teach people how to do it. And you have the Cleaning Planet Positive designation at Sephora. Tell me about the Sephora partnership. Are you exclusive to Sephora? And why did you guys choose that partner? Yes. No, Sephora is an amazing partner. Um, We are exclusive with Sephora in North America and intend to remain uh, exclusive for the time being. 
And we are actually all door. So for a brand as young as JVN is, within the first 18 months of launch, we rolled out into every single Sephora store. So that's just incredible. Um, my background, I actually used to be a Sephora uh, marketer. So I am very familiar with how Sephora works. And for us, we chose them as our, our retail partner because they're really known for building brands. And so you can't find a better partner to build a brand with. They storytell, they get into the weeds. What's the, what's the formulation? What are the key ingredients? What was the thinking and the, the love behind the story of this brand? Um, you know, there's a term that they always use, which is called get in the kitchen. And so we'll have in the kitchen meetings with them uh, once a quarter. And we talk to them weekly, monthly. They're they're very involved. They work with us on the naming of the products, the, the formulation of the products, right? So it's just this incredible partner, sort of the, the third arm, right? There's like us and then Jonathan and, and, and Sephora um, getting into the kitchen together and really finding the perfect mix. They know the audience, they know the customers, we know formulas, we know product, and Jonathan knows hair, right? It's like the perfect trifecta. Um, you know, and I think that's why our product is so incredible. And tell me about the use of squalane in hair care. Obviously, the parent company, Emerus, is so familiar with squalane. You launched with squalane in all of the products. Is it still in all of the products? And how does that affect hair? And how does that compare to silicone? Obviously, you're also silicone free. Yeah. Um, yes, Queen. So our thing is Hemi squalane, but we also love squalane and we feature it a lot too. So Hemi in Latin means half. So Hemi squalane is just like a half size molecule of squalane. So, and the reason why I make that important distinction is because squalane, if it was all squalane based would be like pretty heavy. It would just be like significantly heavier feeling and like a different result than hemisqualine. Like that little half size of molecule really makes a big difference. Um, so, and yes, hemisqualine is across all of our line. I think what makes it different is that like, to me, silicone is a, it is stronger. And while it like, let's say that your goal is to reduce frizz, it may like lay on the hair to like knock out what looks to be like frizz like faster, but also because it is so, it is like a stronger molecule. It's going to like end up building up on each other. And it makes it so that like none of the ingredients and none of the emollients and none of the cleansers can really like penetrate through what ends up building up with silicone. So, and that's something that I noticed in my own hair and something I noticed in my client's hair when I was using silicone based products just over my entire career. Um, because as I said, if a product worked, I was like, Ooh, I'm into this. I don't really mind what's in it. But then as I worked with them longer and would use it more, I'd be like, why is this client's hair getting really dry no matter what I do? Why am I getting like fragility on this client's ends when I do highlights when I never used to? And then I'd be like, well, what are you using? And then it would be like maybe something that I wasn't having at my salon, but then I would, and it was always like certain culprits. And one of the common denominators was silicone, specifically volatile silicones, but silicone's all the same. Also too, like randomly coconut oil. Like, just, like, straight coconut oil. Like, just really does cause, like, red, like, just, like, dry. So, whatever. So, <clears throat> that was kind of how I was, like, I wish that there was a different alternative to this. Um, then I went through this, like, really long co-washing phase where I was, like, oh maybe it's sulfates. But then that kind of turned on me, too. And I feel like I started getting, like, weird results with my clients. Like, it worked for a little while. I don't know if you, it's, like, cleansing conditioner. Like, I went through the stage, so I was, like, oh maybe that's, like, what it needs. Not with JVN hair. This is, like, before JVN hair. But then I did, I went through that little phase, and I was, like, mm, no, that's not really it either. And then I 
I was like, oh my God, I feel like it's silicone. So then I just, I personally like migrated away from silicones for me and my clients, like before my JVN hair days. Um, so that, so that was really what I was finding is that like silicones weigh the hair down. I didn't really have a better alternative. Then I was minding my own business with Biosense and they discontinued this freaking tea tree oil that I loved. This like balancing face tea tree oil. And it was like giving hoarders. Like my old apartment was giving hoarders. Like I had like 80 million of these tea tree oils everywhere. Cause I was like, why do companies do us like that? Where like you get obsessed with something and they just like take it away. I say, ah. Um, but so I put it on my hair this one day cause I was on set and I didn't have it. And then I called Ramya, who's our cosmetic chemist. And I was like, how come my hair feels like better than it's ever felt? And it's all like shiny and it was all like frizzy and shitty. And now I didn't even like heat style it, but it just like is all pretty all of a sudden. And she was like, oh, that tea tree stuff has hemisqualine. Cause I was like, oh, is it squalene? And she's like, actually that one's hemisqualine. And I was like, is that what this is? Like, and then like, that was kind of like the aha moment when I was like, call the agent, call the lawyer, call the TLO, call the people, convene. Like it's been like, this is like, this is what it is. And so, because then I already had this idea about like, you know, trying to like make the education easier, try to like make it more for goal versus concern. Like I'd already had those ideas, but the hemisqualane was like totes, you know, I didn't admit hemisqualane. I just like learned about that through working with Biosans. Um, So, but it really does make, and what we found is it just makes like, it does give you instant results, but I, I sometimes I find for people, well, it, I like, I didn't have a transition process with mine. Like my, I was just like immediately obsessed. And 90% of the time, I feel like people are just immediately obsessed. But I do notice for some people when they go from using a really silicone heavy product to one that doesn't have silicone, you might have like more flyaways than what you had before. Or it might be like, it might feel like you're getting like puffier, especially if you're only switching the shampoo and conditioner. Um, I feel like that takes a minute for hair that's been used to having like a cannon on it, be down with like a slingshot. Like the slingshot works, but you're going to have to use it a few more times. I hate that we're comparing hair care to like killing someone, but you know what I'm saying? It's just like, it takes a few more times with heavy squalene if your hair is used to like a bazooka and you're switching to something. It's like, it doesn't mean that it's not as strong because like it's going to clarify, it's going to cleanse the hair. Um, but it does mean that like if you have like really frizzy hair, like then it like, but also like that silicone is going to turn on you. Like it won't work forever. Like it gets to a point where like the dryness comes back and like all the issues around like breakage or fragility, like fragility, like they come back. Silicone isn't like a long-term solution. Whereas I found that hemisqualine is a really good long-term solution for all hair types. So, and the reason, and so like the molecule is just smaller. So like, it's going to like achieve balance from the inside out versus laying from the outside in. But it takes like, you know, if you've been only using silicones or really heavy products, it'll take like two or three weeks for your hair to get that message that like you're, you know, and also I would just suggest for anyone that's ever had that issue, blowout milk is our best friend. Cause I feel like that kind of like excel that has such great anti-frizz control with um, the cassia bark extract and the orchid milk itself that like any sort of puffiness or frizz two pumps of that, Transition period, no. Just like flawless hair immediately. So I do love me some blowout milk. That was a really long answer. I'm so sorry. That's amazing. You're so knowledgeable about squalene. Teresa, you've obviously worked across the Emerus portfolio with various squalene ingredients. Did you want to talk about the update on Emerus and where the squalene is at right now? Um, obviously, your CEO stepped down yesterday and had mentioned in the last earnings report that JVN had actually been out of stock at some retailers due to some liquidity issues. Then the company sold 
its squalene portfolio. Does that include the squalene in JVN hair or is that specific types? Like what's going on there? I can say one quick thing. Um, There were a lot of announcements yesterday for sure, uh, but no direct impact to JVN. So JVN as a brand is still doing incredibly well. The growth has been phenomenal. We actually have not had uh, out of stocks with our retail partners. Uh, You know, there might be some other issues with other brands, but from a JVN perspective, there's no impact. And you guys weren't impacted by the layoffs either? No. Happy to speak to JVN growth though. And I think the future of JVN... Um, you know, obviously we still see so much potential with the brand and the the goal is to continue to grow. Um, in fact, we have some really exciting new projects in the works with Sephora coming up soon. Um, we are continuing our international expansion. In fact, Jonathan and I were just in the UK um, launching in Selfridges, in Cult Beauty. So lots of continued growth for the brand in terms of international expansion, uh, new product launches, and uh, really fun campaigns that are coming up. Yeah, so I wanted to hear about what's in the product pipeline and recent products. We're in Pride Month right now. This will air in July. But did you want to talk about your recent Pride launch? Yes, I, which I'm really excited about. But also, I'm like really excited about this one other thing. But Tila, blink twice if I'm allowed. Am I allowed to talk about it yet? Uh, you can hint at it, Jonathan. We do have something really exciting that we're doing at the end of July slash like beginning of August. I'm literally so obsessed. And can I just say like my hair has like never been happier. I'm so proud of it. It's just, it's like, um, and also it's like one of those stories of like, sometimes we learn as we grow. And um, sometimes when you picked a bottle to be purple that isn't a purple shampoo and conditioner, it needs a little makeover, and you know I love a makeover. Maybe that's too much of a hint, um, but that's really exciting, and we worked really hard on it. I was, like, really excited about it because it's, like, I just – because it was already, like, chic, but I feel like it's just, like, really next level. It's totally different, um, and I'm just very excited about that. So that's, I think, end of July, beginning of August, unless I – okay, great. Um, so, Yeah. Um, so that's exciting. And, um, oh, and so, but for Pride, our Pride collection was really, um, you know, obviously I think this Pride has been different. It feels quite different. I live in Texas. I, uh, it is different. Um, and so I think that also, (sighs) it's different, but I also think for me being a queer founder and, um, I'm, and just to say like the JVN hair team, I'm so proud of our team. We have had, just so many challenges and we have come through so much together. Like our JV and hair team, I am just so proud of us. And um, so for us to be able to be a company that can celebrate pride and who can highlight queer history and who can highlight our amazing, amazing, our base, our people who use our products, our people who I saw a message the other day on Instagram from this amazing person who was like, you, they were a queer hairdresser and they were like, I feel so good to be able to use products that I can feel proud of. And it just took me out. Like I was just like, and so it's like, I think in the face of so many challenges and things that we're going through as a community, like it's small wins like that, that keep me going and keep my, keep me really firmly focused towards the future of what I'm, what I've created, but also what I'm trying to create. And I've come through so much in my life. Um, and I'm 
And also the queer community has been so resilient and we've been through so much in all of our lives and our collective history. Um, This is not the first time that like people have, you know, shown their colors around like queer uh, around allyship. And so we've been through really difficult times before we will go through difficult times in the future, but we're going to do it together. And I think queer people are so resilient and we're incredible and, um, not to use like such a contrite word is like incredible, but we are, I think that what we've been able to do as a community is incredible and it is, um, you know, I'm proud of us. So I think it'll be exciting to hopefully in future prides, we'll be able to celebrate it even more. Yeah. Looking back on this pride month with your brand being so closely tied to your identity, when you look at other brands that have kind of backed out of pride or responded to backlash and given into it like as a founder how do you feel like looking at that and seeing what's been going on this pride month you know it's really hard I I talk a lot in both of my books um and in my stand-up comedy a lot about duality and like you know the struggle that is duality sometimes because just so many different things can be true at once. And so things can, it can be really complicated. And um, I think that right now, you know, there's a part. And so, and part of the reason I bring up duality is also like parts, like there's like parts of our personalities, right? Like, and I talk about parts therapy in, in both of my books and I'm really inspired by it. I talk about it in my podcast. Um, but, you know, there are parts of me that are feel really abandoned, really hopeless, really, you know, frustrated. Um, there's other parts of me though, that are like, I've worked really hard to create, JVN hair. I also work really hard to put myself in public spaces that is like not always the most, um, you know, it doesn't like when I go out to protest at the Capitol or when I go out to like talk to people, like sometimes that doesn't feel like all the way safe, especially doing it in Texas, but I do it all the time. And so it's like, I, you know, there are parts, but like, so I choose to, I'm aware of what we're up against. I see other people pulling out. I'm trying to figure out like, what I'm really thinking a lot about lately is like in, in the part that I'm choosing to identify with the most and what I'm trying to like be my North star is like in the 2022 elections, like I think voter turnout in Texas was like, it was around 50%. Florida was like under 50%. Um, even 2020, which was a much bigger turnout still was like a little above 50%. Like that means that there's like 50% of voters that like aren't in these conversations, people that are like, these policies don't affect my life or my voice doesn't matter or are just even even like not aware. And what we're seeing is that like a lot of the, um, a lot of what is getting, you know, especially conservatives riled up is these like trans issues that are actually truthfully based in misinformation and disinformation. Even biologically, when we talk about like biological sex, I keep seeing all of these politicians um, saying like, well, can you define what a woman is? Like, can you define what a woman is? Like, it's not that hard. Like, you know, can you, and so and like always doing these gotcha questions around that. But even like, how we think about biological sex as being binary isn't true biologically. There are intersex people. Intersex people make up 1.7 to 2% of the population. A really good book, and someone who I'm just obsessed with, Alicia Rothweigel, her book inter- or her book is called um, Inverse Cowgirl, and it's coming out soon. Um, her movie just came out. It's called Everybody. But, like... That's if you take 330 million people in the United States, that's tens of millions of people who are born with intersex characteristics. And when you look at people who have intersex characteristics and just what intersex represents, it represents the fact that like even biologically, it's like this is basic biology. Well, actually, no, basic biology is is that men and women are actually on a spectrum. 
Like, even biologically, like, sex is on a spectrum because there are millions of intersex people. So, like, there, it's not that all people are born this or that. And we don't even do chromosomal testing on, like, all babies to even know if, like, the baby is XX or XY. I mean, I see headline after headline after headline of new bill, new bill, new bill that's based off of things that are re- really reductive and are, being, like, breaking things way down that, like, aren't. So I just encourage anyone that's like listening to this part of the podcast. We're like, why aren't we talking about JV in here? And I see you coming back, Lindsay. But I'm just saying, there's a people always asking in Pride Month, like, how can I be a better ally? Like, who should I donate to? Like, how can I be a better ally? The truth of how you can be a better ally is to give a fuck, is to is to just care and to educate yourself. Because if you don't know that these laws are being passed and you don't know the framework of how they're being passed, it's going to be really hard for you to make a decision. And also, I would just say really quick, because this is really important, and we can, we can get back to JV in here, but we, I just have to say this. The overturning of Roe v. Wade and all of these anti-trans bills, this is about so – they conservatives want you to think, you know, this is about we shouldn't be killing babies and, you know, we need to protect women's rights to sports and just women's rights. That's how they frame this is around, you know, these issues. Really, this is about privacy. This is about privacy. Roe v. Wade was meant to be enshrined in, the in you know, the Supreme Court. They said that in the 14th Amendment – like, we all have, like, a reasonable access to privacy. And really, this is about, like, violating our privacy. Violating our privacy of, like, how, what medical care we want to get, how we want to express ourselves, how we want to show up in the world. Those are all really private decisions of how we get to express. And now we have these laws that are incentivizing the government, like the state, to come in and say to us, no, you can't dress like that. No, you can't have your kid go to where you want your kid to go to. No, you can't get the healthcare. That, so this is like so much more than like women's rights and kids. Right. This is like about the government having permission to dictate how we live our lives, which is so un-American. So if you think that these anti-trans bills don't affect you, they go hand in hand with the overturning of Roe v. Wade. They go hand in hand with privacy. So it's just, it's a really important, and also like this goes hand in hand with beauty. Like, you know, like us being allowed to express ourselves how we want to express ourselves. So, Yes. Ah. Yeah, totally. And you're obviously so outspoken as a founder and through the brand. Um, So I think we can just end by wrapping up. Did you guys both want to share anything that's next for the brand? We touched a little bit on some hints of products, some expansion. What's the vision for the brand going forward and what can we expect? Well, I'm just so proud of what we've done so far. And I also want to really, I think, it's really important for us to be intentional about our growth, especially product-wise. Like, we don't want to create products just to create products. We want to create products that really add to the conversation and that are really innovative and that really work. Um, I also really am inspired by education. So I want to... I want us to continue working on our education. I want us to continue working on our social outreach and our social strategies. Um, I'm really excited for our product launches that we have coming up for 2023. They're really exciting. We've worked really hard on these formulas. Um, And I think really it's just about continuing to be excellent in our formulations and just trying to do what we do as best as possible. Um, That's really what our goal is, or that's what my goal is. I think that that's what JB and Hair School is too. Exactly. Uh, Jonathan said it. Perfectly. Great. Well, thank you both so much for being here. This was a great conversation and we look forward to seeing what's in store for the future. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Tune in next week for another episode. And of course, if you haven't already subscribed, please hit that button. 